Today's episode is sponsored by By Heart, which is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. In our house, we never skim on family time together on the weekends. Instead of racing around crazy, we prioritize time at home, time to relax, time to do fun, crazy things that we wouldn't have ordinarily. And you know who else doesn't skim? By heart. By heart is the only American-made infant formula with globally sourced ingredients to use organic, grass-fed whole milk without a drop of skim. Whole milk is full of healthy fats like naturally occurring MFGM, which play an important role in baby's brain development and growth. Are you curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with codename Zibby20 for a limited time. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Com and definitely check out those shows as well. Patty Callahan Henry is the author of Once Upon a Wardrobe and Surviving Savannah. She is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of 16 novels, that's 16 novels, and a podcast host. She's the recipient of the Christie Award 2019, winner of Book of the Year, also the Harper Lee Distinguished Writer of the Year for 2020 and the Alabama Library Association Book of the Year for 2019. She is the co-host and co-creator of the popular weekly online Friends in Fiction live web show and podcast, which, by the way, I was a guest on when it was so nice of them to have me. Patty is also a contributor to the monthly Life Lesson essay column for Parade Magazine. A full-time author and mother of three, she now resides in Mountain Brook, Alabama, and Bluffton, South Carolina, with her husband, Welcome, Patty. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. We're going to discuss Surviving Savannah and also Once Upon Wardrobe. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here. We get to talk off camera sometimes, but it's nice to do it and actually discuss books. This is fun. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks. And, you know, we first, I, well, maybe not first, but one of the times we got to know each other was when you all were interviewing me, which was so nice on Friends and Fiction. And I just love all of your co-hosts and you guys do such a good job. I was so blown away by how professional all the, it, it was just the, from everything from the graphics to the conversation, to the coordination, it felt like I was on a real show like a real you were on a real show like it was yeah. like a real produ- it's really produced it's like a highly yeah. produced tv show on on the internet it's like very cool it's just very cool thank you well it was so much fun talking to you i mean that had to have been over a year ago yeah right it was a long time ago and yeah yeah that was fun Okay, can we talk about Once Upon a Wardrobe first? Because Absolutely. I am like in love with this book. I was not even expecting to be 
as because I was like, okay, C.S. Lewis, great, Narnia. And I was like, stop what I'm doing. This is like such a good book. I am like so interested in his life and the way that you made us like rooting for this little boy and his family mm. and the mom with the like heart of the light filled. Oh my gosh. It's so, it's really, really good. So anyway, why don't you tell Thank people, you. why don't you tell everybody what it's about? Thank you. This book, and I just sat and, and listened to you talk about it because it fills me with so much happiness that this book, which got me through most of the lockdown, was my place to go when the world was madly burning around me, right? So it's it's March of 2020, almost exactly two years ago this week, Zibi, that we all oh. went, wait, what? You know, and my college-age son came home and my graduate school-age son came home and then my husband came home. <laughs> and there we were, right? All in one house with one internet when I'm accustomed to, you know, working alone. And the world is madly going, burning and going crazy around us. It's not hard to remember how it felt that March and April. And I'm sure this book would have been written at some point, but it definitely was the book where every single day I was able to go to England and spend time with Jack and Warney and this little boy, George, and his sister and the countryside of England and Oxford. And I could go there and not, and, and almost find my centering in it. But what it's about is what you asked. The, the, it came to me when I was writing Becoming Mrs. Lewis, which is a story about C.S. Lewis's very complicated and amazing genius wife, Joy Davidman. And when I was writing that book, I noticed all these little seeds of Lewis's life that I could see in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mm. I am not a Narnia expert. I'm not a Narnia scholar. I could see these moments in his life. And it just struck me that for all of us, including you, there are these moments in our life that, you know, you can point to in some people's work. You read so much, Zibi. I'm sure sometimes you meet someone and you're like, oh, that part of your life is in it. Or, And even though we can point to that, there are these large swaths of story source that are completely ineffable, completely mysterious, completely unexplainable. You can't really answer the question, where did that story come from? No matter how many angles you come at it from. So I imagined a little boy who was ill and obsessed with The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in the year it came out of 1950. And he asked his sister, who went to Oxford, to track down the author who taught at Oxford and ask him where Narnia came from. She wanted a simple answer, and instead he told her stories from his life. Which were amazing. I mean, so did you... Did you know any of this? Did you research? Was this all true? Like, is he really, was he really missing joints in his thumb? I meant to Google yes. that was true. Yes, all true. All of that is true. So I knew, I learned some of it when I was writing the book about joy. But when I started writing this book, after I picked the seven events, I mm-hmm. wanted to narrate, not tell you what that I wanted to narrate through George's eyes. Yep. Once I picked those seven, then I did a really deep, dive and found things like he was bad at sports because he was missing a digit in his thumbs, which sent him to sketching and writing and drawing. Yeah. So these are the things that 
when we find out about these small moments in an author's or person's life that changes the direction of their life, mm-hmm. I just think it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. I love how he and his brother really together made these whole worlds. What was it called? Nexor or something like that? I get it wrong. Boxen. Boxen. Sorry. Boxen. Yeah. How they had this whole other world and it was almost like this animal land meets like this fusion of their both of both of their imaginations as the precursor to what becomes Narnia and how it's just it's just them like using their brains. And this is mind blowing for kids today thinking of what goes on in my house, right? That this is what comes. And even just the notion of like, well, where, where does it come from? And even Megs, who's like, well, you can't, there's no answer. And then of course, C.S. Lewis, Jack, is just like, well, of course, you know, that's not true. Like it's very real, especially the part where you say, where Meg says, you know, well, it's, you know, I don't read it. It's for kids. He was like, no, no, no. Like, this is not a kid's book. What was your experience of reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe originally? Like, did it always, did you have a special place in your heart for it? Or was it just great fodder for a a novel like this? Oh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, for me, is probably one of the seminal books in my life. Probably foundational. It's It's a book I found when I was very young and read over and over. And what's fascinating about that book, as most books that are powerful, is that they change with age, right? Mm -hmm. So reading it at nine years old and reading it at 50 years old, you get two completely different things out of it. But when I was a child, I mean, I would walk around the forests of Cape Cod looking for a secret door. I believed that somewhere I was actually a queen you know that I that I could find a secret door and and walk through it. And what what is so amazing about that book is not only the imagination that it came from, meaning the author's imagination, but the imagination it spurs in in us when mm-hmm. you read it, because it's one of the few books in the world that even if you've never read it, you know what it's about. Mm-hmm. So you might meet somebody and say, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and they'll say, you know, I've never read it, but they know who Aslan is. They know who the White Witch is. They know who Tumnus is. They, It's become part of our almost consciousness, this story. And for me as a child, it, it unlocked my imagination in so many ways. Wow. That's amazing. I read it but I, and I read the whole, you know, everything that came next and I loved it, but I, it wasn't one of those books for me that changed my life. I don't know why. I mean, you read them and you wanted to know what happened, right? No, totally. I I I loved it. Yes, yes, yes. But I don't know. And you probably once in a while think about it, like something all, you know, something in the world comes up and it reminds you of Narnia. And that's what's so crazy about the power of that. And it's the same with people who love Lord of the Rings or, you know, any of those world building things that you'll see a lamppost in a snowy, you know, forest. And you'll think Narnia, like how many books do that? Hardly any. It's so true. It's so true. You have this funny line in the beginning. Well, not really, but whatever. Let's see. Well, this is when Jack is explaining it. But maybe Narnia had its first seeds in a land that my brother and I imagined as children in our attic. We called it Boxen. What do you think, Warney? It's quite possible, replies his brother, but there was no real magic in those stories. Maybe the magic came later in Narnia. 
And then Jack says, perhaps I was training myself to be a novelist. <laughs> it's true. And it. and I love looking back and I bet you do too. I mean, have you ever like looked back at what you think are the stepping stones that you didn't know at the time, but the stepping stones to doing what you're doing now? I actually just wrote a whole book about that. <laughs> That's my point. That is my point, Debbie. Yes, exactly. I knew that. So yes. <laughs> I, it's just, and it is, it's fascinating because we can look back at those steps and say, they were all leading to right here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your memoir is, is, I can't wait to read it to hear what those are, but sometimes we don't stop and look backwards to mm-hmm. see that. And sometimes when we do, it's astounding. Maybe I was training myself yep. to be a novelist, right? Somebody said like, what advice would I give at one point? And I was like, someday it will all make sense. Yes. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't make sense yes. at all. And I'm like, this is going nowhere. There is no way all these different threads are ever going to link up into this beautiful French phrase. Like, no, there, it's just going to be a mess, but you don't know. You don't know it all. Every, your brain keeps all these things. I mean, it sounds so obvious, but no, it's a, no, it's a spider web. But, but I think too, what, what goes into that is we can get so caught up now we're having a psychology moment instead of talking about books, but we can get so caught up in this idea that we have to know what we're doing all the time, mm-hmm. right? That this thing I'm spending my time on right now needs to like have purpose and make sense. And sometimes if we just follow our curiosity and do the next thing and then the next thing, that's what happens. And when I was writing that book and I was looking at his life, there were probably huge swaths of time where he he felt, well, I know there were, when he felt lost and mm-hmm. and and wounded and losing your mom at nine years old or <sighs> going to a horrible boarding school or, you know, being beaten or it, it, like, and then you look back and like what you just said, and then it all makes sense. And to be able to take those ordinary moments in your life, which he did. And then through the alchemy of story, transform them into something extraordinary is the gift of, of looking back and paying attention. I think. Wow. The way you wrote about the mom's illness and like being on the table downstairs. Oh my gosh. Heartbreaking. It's so painful. I know. So painful. Okay. Also, I want you to talk about Surviving Savannah, which is now in paperback. Congratulations. Very exciting. Thank you. So tell me more about that book because I have to admit, I have not read that book, but I did love Once Upon a Wardrobe. Oh, I did not give you time to read Surviving Savannah. Surviving Savannah is the true and lost to time tale of a shipwreck that happened in 1838. And I found out about it about eight or nine years ago, when a pal of mine in Bluffton, South Carolina said, this feels like your kind of story. It is all, only four women survived. And it's this fascinating tale that was literally lost to time. And I said, no, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. And then about five years later, I said, I'm just going to look it up because it is starting to sound interesting. And by then I was writing historical fiction. So I plugged it into the computer, looking up this ship after doing some reading, and a headline popped up that said, SS Pulaski, which is the name of the ship, mm-hmm. discovered, just discovered, 30 miles off the coast of North Carolina, 100 feet deep. And it hit me 
that there was a reason, there was a timing for why I wasn't interested in it before, because now they have found it. And while I'm digging up stories about this lost ship, somebody else is quite literally digging up the treasure from this lost ship. So this company was is a treasure hunting shipwreck company, and they were bringing up the gold and the silver and the jewelry and and, and these fascinating artifacts from 1838. While I'm over here digging up stories about the passengers. So I discovered a family who boarded the ship together, a mother, a father, six children, a niece. Yeah, nine of them. And they boarded the ship together and the father was a financier for the ship. And he took this whole, his whole entire family and it blew up off the coast of North Carolina. So I knew I had my people and now I had this treasure hunter. So it is a dual timeline story about a museum curator who's working on bringing up the exhibit. And then we meet two women. I feel like most shipwreck stories are told from the men's point of view, the mm-hmm. captain, the first mate. Yeah. And we meet two very real women from history. I changed their names, but, and we see them on the ship because captains are thinking about something different than a woman who has you no know, six children on the ship, right? How can I find, and men and women were housed separately on steamships in 1838. So we we follow these women, some floating five days and five nights at sea, while also learning about what they're discovering at the bottom of the ocean. Wow, amazing. Okay, we can't bubble wrap our kids to keep them safe, but we can give ourselves some peace of mind now with the Life 360 app, which I am obsessed with. I first heard about this from a girlfriend at a party who told me that this was the app to use. So I got it. And now I am obsessed. It's a family connection and safety app that lets you track the people and things that are most important to you. And it's much more than sharing location. It is about safety. It keeps families connected and protected throughout the day. Plus, it helps you find your things. So I have tiles, one of which I put on my phone, which I lose a hundred times a day, and I can find it through the app whenever I lose it. Also, it lets me put in locations of interest. So I get alerts when my kids reach school after taking the bus or when my husband gets to LA or whoever you want to track. You can do it with Life360 and feel very protected and safe and it makes life better. It makes peace of mind better. Life 360 has my family's back when they're on the road, and I can track their stuff too if I need to. Plus, of course, it's a lifeline during emergencies because you can have crash detection to know if one of the kids is in an accident and with two almost driver's license kids, that is super important to me too. So put away the bubble wrap and protect your loved ones with Life 360. Visit life360.com or download the app today and use code BOOKS, B-O-O-K-S, all caps, to get one month of the gold package for free, plus 15% off all tiles. That's life360.com, code BOOKS. Well, that sounds great. All your books are like movies. They all sound like movies. They all like have the cinematic feel even the way you talk about them which by the way I feel like I could listen to all day are they are these going to be movies I'm always so interested are they oh I mean you know they always tease and call but 
nothing's happened. If you, if you have someone you want to give a ring to, just okay. feel free. This feels but, to me, it feels to me like um, how Tom Hanks did that remake of what was the one with the train, you know, the, the train and the boy. <laughs> oh, 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 the Polar Express. <laughs> yes. Thank you. That one. Well, especially once upon a wardrobe. At, and I think Zibby, when I write, I don't, when you were writing your newest, uh, uh, you know, your memoir, is that, it, you're calling it a memoir, right? Yeah. I mean, do you see things visually or do you, right? So uh, people ask, you know, often like, where do your ideas come from? And sometimes there are questions, and but, but so often they're visual. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm writing, I'm so hopefully when I'm describing it, you know, it, it feels visual too. But I think, you know, stories and images and scenes come to people in different ways. Some people it's literally, you know, with words or, or, but for me, it is very visual. Yeah. I see it in scenes, right? Like it like plays. Yes. I try my best to <laughs> transcribe or something. Transcribe. Yes. And it's so hard because it never, ever matches. Mm-hmm. Like you can remember that scene from your life, I'm sure. And you write it down and you're like, I didn't all the way capture it. Right. Yeah. And I do that with scenes in my novel. Like, they're, they're on this floating piece of wood and they've gone three days without food and water. And you're having to find this courage and strength and perseverance really deep down that you're not sure that you have. And I read it and I'm like, but I saw it so much better than that. <laughs> so we do the best we can. We do the best we can. And what are you working on now? I have a book that's coming out next June. It is right now called The River Child. I have a feeling the title will change. Okay. I'm really excited about it. Once again, it came to me in an image. And I think what happens to me often too is when I'm researching one book, another idea starts to bubble on the back burner in the back of my mind. And I don't even realize it until, so they all seem to be outgrowths of of the book before in some way. But when I was writing Once Upon a Wardrobe, one of the seven events in that book, as you know, is when children were sent away Mm -hmm. to the country to live with other people and leave, leave London or Lancaster or any of the large cities so they could be safe. And it has the strangest name. It was called Operation Pied Piper. <laughs> and if you know anything about the Pied Piper legend, it is about a piper who plays a flute and leads the children out of a town to drown. They all die. Everybody in the legend dies except a child who is blind and doesn't follow him. So, and and it the, it's a legend and lore that, that's based on a myth out of Germany, but also based on like, it has all kind of, you know, moral code in it as most of those do. But I I became fascinated with why would they name an operation or they would call it a scheme in England to save children from bombs and name it the Pied Piper. Like it just, so that got my wheels turning. and. I imagined, and this is what it's about, two little girls named Hazel and Flora, who are sisters. And the older sister, I'm still learning to talk about this book because it's brand new. That's okay. That's okay. Right. The older sister, Hazel, keeps 
the younger sister who's five, Laura, safe and comforted with a fairy tale she makes up. So she makes up a fairy tale land that only the two of them know about. So when things are rough or they're missing their family, they go to this secret land called Whisperwood and the River of Stars. And a year goes by. They're living with a lovely family. Some children didn't get lovely families. They were living in a small town outside of Oxford, England called Binsey, which has its own legend and lore. And during the Blitz, the little sister disappears. It is assumed she drowned in the river. And then we flash to 20 years later. And the older sister is working in an antiquarian bookshop in London. And a book crosses her path in the back room. And it is a first signed edition with original illustrations of a fairy tale by an American author called Whisperwood and the River of Stars. Wow. Well, you definitely piqued my interest. So So it's about, you know, how story can save us. And so this fairy tale helps to solve a mystery that's 20 years old. But so Patty, what part of your life has been saved by writing? That's a great question, Sibby. I love that. So many parts of my life. But I would say that the first one was when I was really young. I was 12 and I grew up outside of Philadelphia and my family moved to South Florida when I was 12 and it was awful. (laughs) And I went to three different schools in three different years and while they were figuring out where to live and, and my dad was a pastor. So where they were going to put the church and it was terrible. It was terrible. It was, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. It was terrible. I loved outside Philadelphia. I lived in Ardmore and Narberth and I had my friends and my life. And, and this is in the mid to late seventies. So we're not calling each other. We're not, you know, Snapchatting. And I would hide in the libraries and libraries were my sanctuaries and in books everything made sense. And what we were just talking about earlier is someday it will all make sense. When I was 12, 13, 14, and hiding in the library, I believed that. I believed that someday it would all make sense. But the only reason I believed that was because I was reading books. Hmm. I love that. How did, so how did you, how did you get through the rest of the high, the high school experience? Did you, did you find your people or what happened? I did eventually. So when I was in ninth grade, I mean, 10th grade, my parents said, we're going to stay in Coral Springs and you'll go to the same school till you graduate. So Zibby, I decided I would be popular and, and make friends. And I joined the Latin club. <laughs> That's not how you get popular. That is not the cool. I'm like, was she a cheerleader? What did she no. Latin. Latin. And I loved it. And, and like we were just talking about earlier, it was a stepping stone to becoming a novelist because I became obsessed with the, uh, no, I was a nurse before I was a novelist. So I thought I was taking Latin to, for medical mm-hmm. reasons, like so that I could understand medical language and, 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 and carry that forward with me, which I did. And it was that, but it also helped me become obsessed with the origin of words, the origin of stories with mythology. And little did I know I was training myself to be a novelist. Wow. Well, now the more medical parts of the story make, make sense a little more. In the hospital. Yeah. Hospital. And when George's lips are blue and when he's like, even how his, how he is when he's born and not 
really robust enough and all of that. Now I get where you're coming from too. It's, and people ask me a lot, have you written about being a nurse? And I said, I never have. And I probably never will. I mean, you know, we never say never, but I do know that almost every book I've used something from that time, whether it's a scene in the hospital or a family falling apart or a family at crossroads, because I was in pediatrics. I was a pediatric nurse. So even if I don't write directly about it, it shows up. Wow. Again, the mishmash of our brains and (laughs) what ends up coming out of this funnel. Yeah. Just quickly, I know we're almost out of time, but why did you leave nursing? And when did that happen? I left nursing when my kids were six, four, and one. And was playing dollhouse with my daughter one day. And I asked her what she wanted to be when she grew up. She was six. And she looked me right in the eyes and she said, I want to be a writer of books. And I said, no, that's what I want to be when I grow up. And she said, you're already grown up. And I signed up for a writing class at Emory the next day. Wow. That's so cool. Is she now a writer of books? Not of books, but she is writing blogs and things like that. And I think she will. Right now she has a three-year-old and a five-month-old. So she's not doing much aside from survival. But And she's a beautiful writer. Um, She has a huge following on Instagram, Megan Moon. She's a beautiful writer, but she hasn't sat. I didn't sit down to write my first book till I was 35. So you never know when. Same with you. It's like we've changed. Yeah. Right. It, it should have been obvious all along, but when it happens, it feels like a sharp left turn, but it that's not what it is. I love that. It's where you were meant to go all along. <laughs> exactly. Now it all makes sense. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Patty, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing your story um, you, and your stories with me. And thanks again for letting me reschedule to a different uh, time. So thank you. No, thank you, Zibi. This was a blast. Okay. All right. Well, have a great day. Thank you. Tell me the release date of the book. My book? Mm-hmm. Uh, July 1st. It's called okay. Bookends, A Memoir of Love, Loss, and Literature. No, I've seen the cover everywhere. I feel like you should have called it. It will all make sense. <laughs> That's I'll your next that. one. I have to send you guys copy. I don't have enough arcs. I want to send them to everybody, first of all, who I'm talking to now. And just like, anyway, I'm going to get you guys a copy. I'll send one. Well, or just send, shoot, Netflix thing. Netflix, holy moly. Net Galley. And we'll, yes. We'll read those okay. too. Whatever yeah, you want. Of course, okay. we'll shout it out everywhere. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Take care, Zibby. Don't get COVID. Do not get COVID. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 